welcome to Stempunk. My name's Tom, and we're interviewing a special guest today, and that guest is... Kirsten Banks. Hello. Hi, Kirsten. What do you do, and why are you here, and why are you so awesome? Go. So I am officially a physicist based on my academic transcript. Um, I also love to talk about space all the time, so I like to add a bit of an astro in front of physicists, so I would call myself an astrophysicist. I love talking about space, I work at Sydney Observatory, I go on radio and TV a lot, which is really fun, and I want to be like Brian Cox, but better. Okay, I'm going to get to that. That's, <laughs> I'm going to get to that in a second. But uh, here's a question, I'm sure you've been asked it before. What is the difference between an astrophysicist and an astronomer? It's hard to define, I think, but according to Wikipedia, astronomers are those who look at the sky from a surface level, in the sense that when you look up at the night sky, you see what you see and you try and take meaning from what you're seeing in the surface level of the sky. Astrophysicists use physics to understand processes that go on in space, so kind of a deeper level sort of stuff. So they're doing physics with stars? Yeah. Or physics on the stars? Not like physically on the stars. Anyway. That whatever. would be a little hot, I think. Okay, so uh, you want to be the next Brian Cox, but better. Well, really, I want to be the first Kirsten Banks. You already are. That's that's cool. I like that people, uh, you know, you've got this 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 aim. You want to get to somewhere. You, you, you know what you want to do. You know mm. what you want to get. And that thing that you want to get is related to, uh, you're like a science celebrity or something. Yeah, pretty much. I want to be the, the science celebrity out there in Australia and... The whole universe. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. yeah. When did you first come across Brian Cox and thought, I want to do that? The first time I thought I wanted to do what Brian Cox does was a couple of years ago when I started working at Sydney Observatory. So I started talking about space for a living and so to really, really enjoy it. And I knew about Brian Cox from before then and loved watching his documentaries and haven't seen, gone to see him in person yet, but so ready to go do that at some point. Last time he was in Australia, I was, he had two shows in Sydney. On one of those shows, I was working at the observatory. So I was doing the same thing that he was, just on a smaller scale. And the second time was the day after, or the night before rather, the night before my particle physics exam. So I thought, mm, maybe I shouldn't go to this. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was only a couple of years ago when I thought, yep, that's what I want to do. I'm coming for you, Ryan. Yeah, sure. All right, if, if Brian's listening, look out. <laughs> I love that it was before your particle physics exam. It kind mm -hmm. of fits, doesn't it? It really does. <laughs> I, I tweeted out to Brian and Robin Ince, and Robin Ince replied saying, can't you just get Brian to do the test for you? Oh, I don't know if I could. <laughs> so you you told me that you're uh, thinking of going into doing further research after your uh, undergraduate. Mm -hmm. what's, what's the thing that gets you? What's the thing that you're interested in? So I'm interested in looking at how galaxies evolve. So it's this big thing about we're seeing galaxies, we're in a galaxy, we look out into space and we see trillions and trillions of galaxies. I want to know what makes them tick and how do they work, how do they evolve and transform. So how do you do that? I'm not sure yet. I'll right. find out next year. <laughs> okay, okay, cool. Is it is it a case of uh, you know looking at a whole bunch of galaxies or doing modelling to try and figure out if what we see fits models or you really don't know? I think what I'll be doing is doing a bit of statistical analysis on the data that we've collected from the Gamma survey. Uh -huh. So doing a bit of stats and computing, which is what I really enjoy doing, so it should be good fun. Okay. Nice. And then figuring something out from that, I'm sure. All right. Well, that's you, and uh, let's, uh, let's get into asking you the questions that we ask all of our guests. Okay, let's do it. All right. 
So uh, the first question is, what does STEM mean to you? What does STEM mean to me? Yeah. Personally, to me, it's my way of life. Ah. So I don't know what else I want to do other than science and specifically physics. It's, it's funny, in my degree at university, we had to do other subjects that were completely unrelated to our degree. I had such a hard time trying to choose something. I was like, I don't know what I want to do. Yeah. I ended up choosing this global marketing course, which I then dropped after two weeks because it was ridiculous and I didn't uh-huh. like it at all. Yeah. But um, yeah, STEM for me is my way of life. And it's always been like that? It's always been like that. Ever since when I was in primary school, when we were going around the room talking about what we wanted to be when we grew up, I came out with the biggest word any five-year-old knew and said, I wanted to be a meteorologist. <laughs> <laughs> so it started from a very young age. <laughs> yeah, sure. Where Do you remember where you heard the word before? I think it would have been on the news or something. So I would always wait and sit through the entire newsreel to the, for the very end for the weather person to come up and tell the weather. And I <laughs> think I might so have cool. heard it from there. <laughs> That's so cool. Complete nerd. That's right. That's great. Um, so everything you did at school was trying to get to just science did you do all of the all of the sciences at school no so in primary school i don't remember doing a lot of science it was only until high school when i actually remember doing some science Mm. i really enjoyed obviously the physics so i did physics in hsc but honestly i didn't have a very good chemistry teacher Mm. right so i didn't really enjoy chemistry biology you know it was fun dissecting things but that was about it for me and geology yeah Look, rocks do rock, but yeah. not for me. <laughs> yeah, sure. So I just did maths and physics. I think uh, I wish I did more geology or uh, geophysics because I think it's it's fascinating the stories that these these structures can tell you. But on the surface, like no puns, but on the surface, it's pretty boring. It's like igneous and sedimentary, and like how many times do you need to go over that. Yeah, yeah. It's like getting into the lower level sort of stuff. Actually, I remember I had to get a plate for my teeth one day and I got this plate the day before I had to do a, an oral presentation on the lithosphere. <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> but I agree, like, ge- geology is really interesting once you get below the surface of that's this rock, this is this rock and that rock. Yeah. Well, the first scientist to go onto the moon was a geologist. Exactly. That's the uh, whole point. Like, yeah. We're up there to you know, check out the geology of the moon for sure. Geologist. For sure. It seems like life changing things happen to you just before an exam or yep. a test. Pretty much. All right. It's cool. No, nothing a good challenge I can't take. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. So just, you got to lie to yourself about when the next test is due because something big is going to happen the day before that. Yep. Pretty much. <laughs> uh, here's a tip make sure your, uh, your car tires are checked the day before an exam. Because that happens so many times. That has happened to me. Oh, no. No. <laughs> there was a small leak in my tyre, so it was a tiny bit flat. My dad pumped it up and said, it'll be fine. <laughs> and made it to the exam on time, but oh, that was stressful. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, okay, so I used to be a teacher as well, and one of the, you mentioned dissections. I, love, mm. I loved teaching um, the biology part of the high school syllabus because like, there are so many people who are squeamish and squirmy oh, about yeah. the cutting up the rat. 
and I was too. I did physics. This mm. was not—it's not my deal. <laughs> um, but you know, you block your nose and you get through it. Mm. Um, and I used to remember telling the students, "You got to stay here. You might hate it. You might not enjoy it. But this is a story that you will get for your grandkids. Like you will always remember this." Exactly. Exactly right. I remember a few girls in my class had to go outside because they felt like they were going to throw up. I'm like. Who cares? Yeah, whatever. Just do it. Have fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just be at the back, but watch because yeah. you know every everyone remembers exactly. cutting up the pig's foot or the. There's bound to be some class clown who makes the small intestine burst or something. I, I used to force students to remember stuff, yeah. and the line I used was, "Hey, yeah, you're going to remember this forever." <laughs> and even if they remember it horribly, at least they remember something science. Exactly. They remember um, something. Yeah, yeah. Because then they can go to their, their grandkids and say, oh, man, I didn't like science because the teacher made me cut open the rat's guts. <laughs> um, but instantly they're talking about science. Exactly. I That's love right. that. Kind of shove it down their throats in a way that they remember it. Even if they hate it, they still remember something. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, for that reason, I love, uh, I love talking about... Um, like things like the Big Bang Theory. Mm. Some people hate that show. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. There's lots of things wrong with that show. Yeah. Um, but as soon as you're talking about it, you're talking about science. Exactly. I and like I love it. that the, the the jokes and the stuff they put on the whiteboards is legit. It's all there. And now that I've done my degree, I can actually understand most of those things. It's so great. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's STEM. I like your it's your answer is very you. It, <laughs> it's, you. it belongs to you. I like that. Um, so here we go. I'm going to ask you a question now okay. about what's well, about Mars, actually, Ooh, which I is like fun. Mars. So this question was asked. The last um, guest we had was actually seven guests. It was okay. some work experience students I had with me a couple of weeks ago. Oh, nice. They kind of uh, workshopped a question, mm-hmm. and the question is this: Should we send people to Mars? That's part one. Okay. If yes, which four people do we send? Not like people, but jobs or professions mm-hmm. or what type of people yeah um what technology robot should we send so essentially mm. we're going to have five things four people and a robot yep. if yes which ones are those but if no what do we do with those four people and that robot on earth oh yeah that's a big question huge i love that there's like different parts of it too yeah <laughs> yeah then what um okay do we send people to mars i think we should because we're very curious people mm-hmm. and we we need to find out more about our local universe and we're well overdue to actually go and discover something new like we're looking at the moon looking at mars but we've already been to the moon multiple times but we want to actually also check out other places we have the capability or well, we soon will have the capability to actually go to mars with people and i think we should do that who should we send i think we can take a lesson from the martian Sure. The movie, well, the book, really. Uh-huh. Great book. Um, we should send, I reckon, a geologist uh-huh. to study the rocks. While we do have some robotic geologists up on Mars at the, mo- at the moment, although, please, opportunity, come back to us. So, a geologist, I think we should send a chemist to hopefully study some more about those rocks and the chemistry of those rocks. An engineer, just in case things go wrong. Uh huh. And I want to say a physicist, but I'm not really sure what a physicist would do on Mars, <laughs> except for like jump around to test the gravity or something. <laughs> it's and an important job. It's a very important <laughs> job. It's like take a couple of apples and just drop them around different places <laughs> on Mars. Um, and something robotic, some sort of car, I think. Sure. So Mars rover car thing. Uh huh. Well, actually, how about the Tesla? Sure. Take a Tesla with you, just like a. Elon Musk did send it toward Mars, not to Mars. Take a, a Tesla out there so you can actually 
cover more ground, I think. But I guess they wouldn't be coming back, would they? At least not the first one. Oh, I don't know. This is this is up to like if we send people to Mars, it's up to uh, if we're choosing, it's mm. up to us if they come back or not. That, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> that question could go a very different direction if we're not bringing them back. <laughs> well, what if we don't? What well, if we don't bring them back? We don't bring them back. Oh, there's a few choice people probably would send to send to Mars, not come back. But I don't think they <laughs> do, for a different reason. They do. They would do very much uh, good on Mars over there, though. <laughs> nice. Okay, so if we've sent these people to Mars. And, and a robot. I think it's pretty obvious what you do with a robot back here. But what do we do with them if, if we decide we're just about to send these, uh, the geologist, chemist, physicist, and what was the other one? An engineer. Yeah. We didn't send them because funding ran out. What do we do with them here on Earth? What do we do with them here? Yeah. I guess they can do what they usually do and do normal research on Earth. Earth research, probably. What what problems could they solve? Well, the chemists could probably help out with uh, drug research. So uh-huh. Help out medicines here on Earth. The geologist could do more geology here on Earth. <laughs> cool. <laughs> look at that lithosphere, check out what it's doing. Yes. Uh, the physicist, of course, do more physics research, yeah. maybe something theoretical, or maybe even try and figure out more about Mars on a physical level. And the engineer, get that rocket up. Yeah. Come on, we've got to go to Mars. Sure. Do, do, uh, yes, if, we, if we're not going to, to Mars because of funding, get the engineer to make it cheaper. Yeah, right, exactly. cool. I, I was thinking a lot about that question. It was really cool to see them formulate that question. Mm. And it's it's on the podcast, but I cut most of it out. I would I would not send any scientists, I don't think. You don't think so? No. Because you could get like a ro- a robot or like a mobile lab to do that. That's like true, you actually. even mentioned. Like yeah. you could do surface chemistry or mm. you know, geology enough that you could understand, but I would get some sort of tradesperson, I think. Okay. To like build stuff. Oh yeah. I don't know. I would start building a colony or something up there. Yeah, like this is if they're not coming back. Mm. So you get someone to do some building of things, but even a robot can do that. You can even get a robot that builds houses now. That's true. Um, Send those drones that make those really cool abstract uh, buildings with those styrofoam blocks. Yeah, sure. And you can get three D printed houses. Yeah. Use the regolith from Mars and just start using that as mud. Mm. to build a house or a city basically um but i think you would need you would need some sort of teacher mm-hmm. you would need uh you know gender balance so you'd need some people who get there let's say four people mm-hmm. two males two females who would then start making more people, people. yeah <laughs> uh yeah i don't know it, it would be a social experiment i think rather than okay. than a scientific one they're the first four that i would send i don't know yeah. just because you need you need to get people and then keep people there that's true because we i guess we do know a lot about mars already yeah in all fairness yeah that's cool but i would i mean also i would say physicists because then that's that's me. Like I could go. Exactly. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> uh, I actually know someone who is putting himself down to go to Mars. Is that Josh Richards? It is Josh yes, Richards. Yes, I know him too. <laughs> um, fantastic. Like I say it all the time, but I get to ask him a question about, oh man, what's it like to go to Mars and not come back? Mm. And then I forget about it. Like that's a question that I can ask him once and then let it go. But he has to ask himself that question every day. Exactly. That's true. Because you're not coming back. <laughs> no. And he's got to have that conversation with his friends, his family, and his... You know, imagine that. Like, yesterday was Father's Day. Mm. He's got to chat with his father and say, this could be the last one that we have. Like, you know, not that it's going to happen next year, but you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Like, it's a little, a little sad. It's, yeah. it's full on. Yeah. Respect to him. But he wants to be that pioneer. That's awesome. To be able to actually go through that sort of uh, emotional process yeah. with everyone you know, that takes a lot of guts. Yeah, I sure. Think. 
it's pretty it's pretty hardcore plus if there's i mean if you've got wi-fi connectivity you just you still have to wait at least six minutes right yeah. now to get a reply <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> and up to 40 minutes when mars on the other side of the sun yeah so i think you could still communicate or just be a very slow conversation <laughs> yeah sure um i've seen a movie called seat 25 have you heard of seat 25 i haven't no what's that about so it's it's a film about um i'm hoping to interview the the actor and the director soon as well but it's a film about a, a lady who was chosen to be the 25th seat in a rocket that goes to mars they had 24 people and they were chosen like mm-hmm. the way that we just discussed and it yep. chose a physicist and a teacher and blah blah, blah. and the 25th seat was a uh, raffle oh, okay so she put in her her name into the raffle and then her name was picked out amongst the millions mm. and she was told you're going to mars it's a one-way trip you're not coming back you're leaving in about six months i don't know how oh. long it was but it was wow. just essentially like you're the winner and she had to then go and tell her friends and family so that was the film it's a it's an independent film but it's a really nice way of doing sci-fi. There's no equations. There's no, you know, fancy things. It's all human interactions. It's the emotion of yeah, the science. Which is phenomenal. Because you've wow. got to think about that. It is. How funny would it be if you just went out of the limb, just like, oh, yeah, I'll put my name into this thing. Like, oh, I'm not yeah. going to get picked out of millions of people. And then you get picked. And then you win. <laughs> like, uh, Looks like I you don't go- want to go to Mars anymore. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they had that conversation. They said, do you really want to go? And she's like, yeah. I'll go. She's like, okay. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. That'd be pretty pretty hardcore. All right. Cool. Nice answer. Thank you. So now that I've asked you a question like that, mm-hmm. um, what do you want to ask our next guest? I don't know who that is. So you get to ask them anything you like. Ooh, okay. I'm going to ask the question, how can we improve science engagement? So like, we've already got heaps of people who are already interested in science. How do we get those who hate science? Mm. interested in science nice. and we bring them over to the dark side <laughs> <laughs> or the light side depending on the frequency that you that's connect. true yeah. yes <laughs> great question thank you how do you do it well i try to spin things in a way that people like would enjoy or at least fundamentally have an emotional connection to so i had one person i did one of those things on instagram where he's like ask me a question ask me anything and someone said to me astrophysics is clearly the least useful form of physics Prove me wrong. Right. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. Full on. <laughs> Radio. And uh, so I responded saying, okay, so the next time an asteroid is hurling towards Earth, I just won't tell you, okay? How's that sound? Yeah, right. And like other things like Google Maps. You like using Google Maps. Yeah. I like using Google Maps. That's because of physics. Yeah, yeah. And it's come out because of physics. So, yeah, it, it, there's different ways that we can, but I'm interested to see what the next interviewee comes up with. Did that person respond saying, no. you got me? No. Okay. <laughs> I feel like I won that one, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be interesting to know what they studied, if it's like... If it's a form of physics or not. Yeah, well. maybe if, if it was something like photonics, he goes, oh, okay, now your turn. Photonics is useless. Prove me wrong. <laughs> yeah, right? And like, in all fairness though, science doesn't have to be useful. Correct, you know. It can become useful later. Take Wi-Fi, for example. Like, that didn't come out until much later when we already had the technology. Yeah. Like, this this stuff doesn't have to be useful when we discover it. So, when the laser was discovered, Mm. it was was seen as a solution looking for a problem. Exactly. So, how do we use this thing? Yeah. (laughs) We want to use it. Plus, laser sounds so cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but now if you take away laser, you Mm. take, like, internet plus everything breaks. Yes, exactly. So it doesn't have to be useful. It has to be. It's all about pushing knowledge and then other smart people find out what you can do with that knowledge. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, And and if that's the case, we wouldn't go making uh, or developing quantum computers now. Even though we have pretty good applications for quantum computers, even though we've not 
properly built them yet, the applications that we get after that are going to be insane. Exactly. Huge. Moral story, it doesn't have to be useful right away. <laughs> we can figure out a use for it later. Also, it is quite useful. It is. Astrophysics. Yeah. I, I have a friend uh, who is doing astrophysics trying to find evidence of gravity, gravitational waves. Ooh. Um, this was years before it was discovered. Mm. And everyone used to say to him, oh, what a waste, like, what are you doing that for? And he's saying, this is going to change the way that we do science. It, and it did. And it did. It's like 100%. Like so many new jobs have come out since we discovered gravitational waves. Yeah. And from September last year with the neutron star merger. Oh my goodness. Like everyone mm. was cheering for like months. I Okay. So here's a, a years ago, I was chatting with a friend and uh, we discovered that the line quick to the observatory, had to be put into some story somewhere. I just love that line. It just sounds so cool. Like a superhero. Quick to the observatory. <laughs> anyway, so a few years ago, I used that in a short story, and that was fun. Mm. But it actually happened last September when they when they uh, found this neutron star merger. Exactly. The message went out to basically all the astronomers in the world that said, quick, to your observatory, point whatever at that now, go. And, <laughs> and they were all in a meeting and they all got these text messages and they're looking going, oh, should I go? No one else is going. Go, 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 go. <laughs> yeah. um, it's like when a, a fire alarm goes off in a fire station, like everyone down the pole, let's go to the observatory. <laughs> yeah. I love that that actually happened. But I, uh, So I deal with uh, high school students a lot and I tell them all the time that there's a new area of physics that just last year, we couldn't, we didn't know that was there, but now we do. Right. Uh, there's a new, you could be a new type of physics, physicist that didn't even exist 18 months ago. Exactly. I love that. So cool. Like, a lot of kids get told, and I got told this when I was in high school, like, the job that you're going to have mm -hmm. doesn't exist yet. It's the case now. For me, the job that I have in 10 years doesn't exist yet. Exactly. Pretty much. We're looking for more and more science. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's happened, uh, it's happened a number of times. Um, uh, the Higgs boson. Mm. Like you would have been at school when yep. the Higgs boson was discovered, and that's a new area of physics. Exactly. Now you can be a Higgs boson physicist. That's right. I love that. I remember when I was in primary school, and it was the day that they turned on CERN, and we were like, okay, we're looking at our clocks, looking at our watches, are we going to die, are, we, are yeah. they going to make a black hole, and we're all going to be sucked into a black hole? Time goes by. No, we're all good. No. <laughs> I guess they were right. Yeah. <laughs> I remember having a, uh, a lecture once in second year and the lecturer came in and said, you know that stuff about quantum mechanics I told you about yesterday? And we're like, yeah. He goes, yeah, we've just proved that wrong. It's wrong now. <laughs> this is this is right. And we're like, are you sure? Like, okay, we'll write it down. Science is changing so much and I love it. There's yeah. never a boring day in the cosmos office. Yeah, correct. Mm. And there's a, uh, this is one of my favorite stories because I get to drop some names. But I was in second year when Brian Schmidt was lecturing at ANU. Yeah. So he was my lecturer in second year in oh, 1998, right? Oh. So that was when he did his work that got him the Nobel mm. Prize. And I still remember him writing down, you know, huge long equation plus lambda. And mm. that was the cosmological constant. That's right. Basically his work that won him the Nobel Prize. And we didn't know, we were second students, we were just writing it down furiously. Like trying to write it down, I was like, I don't understand this, but I'm just gonna write it down like yeah. the Bible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They must know what they're talking about. Yeah. Turns out that they kind of did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember he wrote it down and then stopped and just did this big sigh as if to say, wow, that was huge. Like, we just worked that out. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. that's incredible. I yeah. love it when that sort of sigh of relief in a way yeah. kind of happens when you get to the end of a big equation, you get to the end of a big calculation, you're like, 
<laughs> because they were beautiful. They were furiously trying to get that result before another team. Oh yeah. And in course. fact, in fact, the Nobel Prize was joint between the two teams that were racing to get that result. Mm. And they checked again and again. I've heard him tell the story, but yeah, they had to. They thought they were wrong, and they just bit the bullet and said, "Let's publish this." I mean, so did Einstein. Einstein thought yeah, sure. he was wrong too. Yeah. He said it was his biggest blunder. Yeah, 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 yeah. And now he's just. Don't worry, Einstein, you're right. You're, yeah. good. you're all good, mate. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's, here's my next question. What do you nerd out about? What do you completely nerd out about? Another way of saying that is, like, when I, when I press stop or when we stop listening to this episode, mm-hmm. what do you want me to go and find out about? Okay, well, I'm very much a nerd out person about space. Cool. I talk about it literally for a living. And one of my good friends here at Sydney Uni, uh, Peter Lebedev, yes. we just go on for hours and hours about physics and space. Like, <laughs> I swear, our eyeballs sometimes look like they're going to pop out of our heads because we're just so exclaimed in our, our facial expressions. So it's like, whoa, space, astronomy. <laughs> it's so cool. Like, I literally feel like I'm going to explode sometimes when I talk <laughs> about space. And, like, the best thing about it, too, is when I'm working at the observatory, I always have a big finish. I always like to finish in the planetarium and have a big finish looking at the Hubble Ultra Deep Field. Mm, mm. Because that thing is super amazing. So if you haven't seen it before, like, I assume you would have seen this photo before. Yes. Yeah. For those who haven't seen this photo before, Google it right now, Hubble Ultra Deep Field, and just look at this thing. This picture taken by the Hubble Space Telescope is, like, an 10, 11-day-long exposure photo of this darkest part of the night sky what we thought was the darkest part of the night sky. What you can see in there is there's four spiky things, which I like to call photobombing stars mm-hmm. from our own galaxy, and then everything else. And before I keep going, actually, this piece of sky is so small that a grain of sand can completely cover it. Teeny tiny piece of sky. And everything except for those four photobombing stars, every blob, smudge, line, even every single speck of all galaxies. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's incredible because it's like 10,000 galaxies in that one tiny, less than a grain of sand piece of sky. And the best thing about that is that I could be having the worst day ever. I could have crashed my car. I could have been told my cat died. I don't have a cat, but you get the point. You could have had a plate in your mouth. Exactly. I could have a plate in my mouth. could not say lithosphere. <laughs> um, but I could have been having the absolute worst day and... After I talk about space for about an hour and a half, like I've flipped my reset, reset switch. I just feel so much better about myself. Yeah, cool. Like everything kind of just melts away. Everything is so relative, especially looking at that photo. Like that photo is what I like to call the existential crisis inducing photo. Because <laughs> it really is. Like you look at this thing, less than a grain of sand, 10,000 galaxies with billions of stars in each of them. It's kind of scary. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but super exciting at the same time. That, that's a... It's a pretty badass answer. Yeah. <laughs> I used to, sometimes I still do, you, you look up at the sky and then you, know, you can see the stars. And I did astronomy at uni too, so you know, you know what they are, you know what's going on, you mm. can know the processes and blah, blah, blah. Most people know what a star is, they look at the star. But what I used to do is you close your eyes and then reimagine the sky that you're about to see when you open your eyes as something different. You open your eyes and you think, okay, so it's a blank sheet, there's a really bright light behind it and... Um, and there's little holes in that black sheet. And that's what the stars are. And you open your eyes and you look at it. And it totally looks like it's a black sheet with little holes in it. Yeah. And that's kind of putting yourself back in the, the you know, the 12, 1300s, because that's what they thought. That's right. The, the ancient uh, Egyptians thought it was an iron firmament with holes in it. From yeah. Where the meteors came through. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And then you close your eyes again and you and you look out and you, uh, you imagine it as... All the stars are in one location. They're not moving. Mm. They're still stars. They're a very long way away. Some of them are bigger, some of them are smaller. 
but they're in that fixed position and they don't move. And that's what we used to think, you know, a few hundred years after that, that's what we used to think it was, like this uh, celestial sphere. Mm. And I used to, you know, I love looking at the sky in different ways because it kind of places you. And then you open your eyes again and you think, actually, no, let's imagine that these stars are uh, balls of uh, gas which are uh, fusing their inner core, producing a whole bunch of energy. Uh, Some of that is light and we can see that and they're at different places and some of them are lots of, you know, that one there might not even exist anymore. It could Mm. have blown up. I love looking at stars like that. It's like, you're probably a ghost now. (laughs) And then it just, it really focuses what what you're looking at. And Mm. then you look at that ultra deep field because then you can start imagining someone on a planet in one of those galaxies looking out and we're just a smudge mm-hmm. on one of their photographic plates and they've got this this uh, photobombing star in the way and yeah it's pretty full-on it is it's just, oh, just so incredible yeah and you ask people ask me all the time you know do you think life exists on other planets and you're Surely like it has to <laughs> yeah like come on statistically <laughs> exactly yes. pigeonhole principle come on guys <laughs> yeah there's gonna be something else out there and like it's like what you were saying if there's another identical earth around an indistinguishable sun in another galaxy that's 10 billion light years away when they look at our galaxy they don't see our sun yet so hasn't been made yet yeah so maybe we'd maybe because there is life out there we just can't see it because of the restrictions of space yeah right and like the distance and not be able to see that light yet yeah for sure there, there probably has been life already mm. that has disintegrated because it's star blew up haven't they figured out that every star has multiple planets as well like statistically most of them have more than one planet i think it's a, on average about one to one. Oh right okay i think, I think. Yeah, yeah cool on average yeah well out there guys which is the best thing about this field actually like, there's always more to learn there's always more to discover it's it's cool that you said like you can you can have a crappy day and then look at a picture and then feel better. I really like that. Talk about space for two hours. I'm good. Do you think other people do that too? Do you think after having a tour with you at the observatory, they're just like, yeah, it's actually not too bad. Like, this is really good. I would hope so. Kirsten's really excited about that. And kind of I am too. Yeah. I actually had, it was kind of funny in a way. The other night I had a tour at the observatory and it was clearly up in the afternoon. But as soon as I drove up to the observatory, mm-hmm. it was like a monsoon. It hit Sydney. <laughs> it was like raining and windy. And like the rain was coming onto the side of my car not just down onto the side of my car it was that intense and so i started the tour how i usually do is like hi i'm kirsten well yada 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 but then when we get to the telescope i say oh we're not going to see anything in the night sky because it's cloudy and rainy and it's awful and don't don't worry i'm just as sad as you are mm-hmm. and this person pipes up and says no you're not yeah. um uh, i'm not going to contest this because it's a futile argument but i showed them because <laughs> it cleared up and i was like almost literally pushing people out of the way so I could get to the telescope um, opening and just open it up. It was like, it's going so fast, too fast, and I should have. And then we like, showed them Venus, showed them Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, the Jewel Box, Ab Centauri, and 47 Tuck. Like, they were spoilt for choice for planets and saw millions and millions of stars. So I showed them. Yes. <laughs> also saw that that guy was wrong, that you were not you were as excited when exactly. it started clearing up. I looked like the total weirdo <laughs> when I noticed that the sky was clear I'm like everybody stop it's clear we're gonna look at the sky now <laughs> and I'm very happily the weirdo in the room when it comes to that stage okay cool yeah 
Cool. <laughs> Go on, own it. Um, I went to I went to a Dubbo Observatory once. You know, not as fancy as Sydney Observatory. Um, it was run by this this old guy. We got there and he showed us the video that basically Dubbo Observatory have taken from Sydney Observatory. Sydney Observatory gave this guy the films that. Okay. So we I've seen that many times. Yeah. And he got there and showed us these videos that I've seen many times. I was like, oh, you don't need to show us that. Oh, I'll show you that. All right, whatever. Yeah. Uh, then started talking about his putt-putt golf course that he's got at the Sydney Observatory. Meanwhile, it's, you know, the clouds are starting to come over. It was bright. It was clear when we got there. It started to come yeah. over. And just started talking and talking and talking at us for so long that yeah. by the time we were going to look at the, the stars, it was overcast. It was no. Like, and... <laughs> That's so bad. The whole time, we're like, can we look now? Like, oh, I've got to show you the putt putt course. No, no, you don't. No, 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 no. That, that can be done during the daytime. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. Let's look at those. Yeah. Well, let me tell you about this telescope. I know. It's a, it's a me 12-inch parabolic. You don't need to tell me about it. We get it. We get it. We know. <laughs> yeah, you, gotta, you have to, when you're having people around your observatory, you have to compartmentalize your time. Yeah. Based on what's going on. Yeah. So like we we go around, we go to maybe one or two telescopes of a night time, and then the planetarium. And of course, if you're in the planetarium, and it's clear. Oh well, that's the time you get in the planetarium. Plus, the planetarium is fantastic. Yeah. It's so much fun. But when you're in the telescopes, if you see a cloud coming in from the west, and you see that Jupiter is about to go behind the clouds, you probably don't look at Jupiter because only two or three people will see it, and then the rest won't. And it's been unfair. So you have to like compartmentalize and go to the other side of the sky before that gets covered and see other things over there. Yeah, sure. So you got to make use of your clear sky. You can put that on a job application, like dealing with multiple uh, variables at once. That's true. You're like, yeah, you have to organize everything based on what something that you have no control over. Exactly. Yeah, it's very, very versatile. Yeah, um. yeah. sure, sure, sure. Anything else rather than like science that you know that about? Is there anything that you that you go and spend your time looking at? I do like music. Okay. I do love uh, a good EDM song. Mm -hmm. Usually, yeah, it's the sort of like electronic sort of music that I like. Anything with a very strong bass, I go bonkers over. Mm -hmm. It's I love that sort of stuff. And my friends and I, we just talk about, oh, how great was that drop? Oh, it was so great. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in the car too. Like my car's always a dance party. Okay. It's really yeah. That would be my second thing that I'd no doubt about. What's the, like? Give me a like a, a, a DJ name or a band name. Oh, okay. Um, my favorite overall would be a band called Yellow Claw. Or Yellow. a DJ called Yellow Claw. Yellow Claw. Yeah, right. they've got some good stuff. Okay, cool. Yeah. No worries. I'll have to show you. I've got a, a setup here. You can see this one. This is a, a thing. <laughs> I'm trying to wrangle it to something that <laughs> works, but it's not at the moment. Um, I'm calling it STEM Punk, which is the name Ooh, of the yeah. podcast. Nice. But it's using science equipment to make music oh cool yeah actually i think i saw something on peter's instagram the other day yeah right it's something similar to that it's that it's that oh nice it's it's the thing yeah it's it's that frequency generator we, yeah. we use that frequency generator in the third year lab to to create noise so that you can subtract noise from another experiment mm. so that we we get data from you know radio astronomy or something yeah it's very noisy so you have to create noise to subtract the noise from the measurement so yeah. that you can isolate the signal from the noise. Exactly. So, but I've just mucked around with that. I'll, I'll show you later. It's pretty funny. Awesome. Peter wants to call it uh, lab step. Lab step. Yes. <laughs> like drum step, but lab step. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm owning stem punk. Stem punk's pretty good. I like stem punk. <laughs> Sorry, good. Peter, but stem punk's better. <laughs> <laughs> He'll probably turn up in a second just because yeah. he heard you dissing him. Yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. I appreciate all your answers. Do you have any uh, other things that, that you think I didn't ask you and you need to you need to get off your chest and just tell me and excited, yay, or not? Space. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, okay, well, there is one thing I do want to say about talking about the uh, neutron star merger. Okay, cool. So in, in my job, I like to bring ridiculous numbers down to something that we can kind of understand. Mm -hmm. So with the neutron star merger, obviously lots of heavy elements are created. I think it was about 10 Earth masses of gold was created in this neutron star merger, which I think the AAO figured out in the current market that much gold would be a value of 100 octillion dollars. <laughs> which is just an absolutely ridiculous number, which uh, for those wondering, it's a one with 29 zeros after it. Okay. A ridiculous number. <clears throat> so I decided to try and bring this 100 octillion dollars down to something we can kind of understand. Mm -hmm. So if you imagine 100 octillion dollars in $2 coins, Australian $2 coins, and you stack those $2 coins on top of each other, nice and flat, you get a stack that's long enough to go from Earth to the point where these two neutron stars collided and back again mm. 5,000 times. Wow. This is a stack of $2 coins, $100 trillion of $2 coins stacked up and down to from Earth to the point of collision back again 5,000 times. Oh my gosh. So uh, that was not a very good example of bringing things down so <laughs> we can understand because it's still ridiculous, but it just, it makes you go, oh my gosh, how, it's crazy. How far away were they? I think it was 130 million light years away. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like flat stack, not on flat end on stack. end. Yep. <gasps> wow. Okay. Mind blown. Okay. Let's stop when we don't know what we're talking about anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. No, this thank you. Fun. Thanks so much. That was great. This whole podcast was a whole nerd out session. Yeah. Designed that way. Um. Anyway, yeah. Thanks. Thanks heaps. Thank you. is part of the Australian Educators Online Network, aeon.net.au.